This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rave line. Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year oh no hello everybody welcome back to reign of troy radio episode 384 coming to you on friday october 9th it is the starts of fall camp for the usc trojans in the year 2020 yes for real for real today that's the start of fall camp. We're going to talk about the start of fall camp and so much more, including the latest USC football news, such as Elijah Vera Tucker being back in the fold and the Trojans being predicted to take home the Pac-12 South crown. All that and more, including your listener questions here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Omni. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansite.com and our phone number is 213-373-1- USC, Alicia, Mr. Q, my co-host, Alicia Deratola, because I'm Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. I was too busy preparing a, a quip about how this is the first fall camp that's actually taken place in, in fall. Are we going to get into that? Is this, is, do, can can do we, we discuss need, this? Do we need to call it winter camp just to be consistent? No, but our, <laughs> our, our good friend, Simon Jabari from Traveler Hates Thursdays, has this weird quirk, and it's it's his biggest character flaw, uh, aside from being a Dodger fan, it's his biggest character flaw, where he has this weird thing where he he can't comprehend fall camp taking place in August and spring training taking place in February and March. Which are decidedly summer and winter. So he would have them named summer camp and... Winter camp. Yeah. And, and there's winter training. No. And growing up a fat kid, like summer camp is the worst thing ever. Like you, you don't want kids going to summer camp. Well, see, I never went to summer camp, but the the argument we've always had is that it's a camp in preparation for the fall. Exactly. That is why it is fall camp. That's why it is spring training. You're training for the spring. For the spring. Yes. Yeah. So I have never been against the idea of calling it fall camp even though i will acknowledge fall camp absolutely takes place during the summer i for one think let's just call it training camp and be done with it but whatevs people call it fall camp but i mean actually literally fall camp is going to be taking place during the fall it is autumn it is autumn camp my only pushback to this is the New York Jets play in New Jersey. This is true. Nobody cares. Some people Nobody's might calling care. them the New Jersey Jets. No one's calling them the New Jersey Giants. Well, I mean, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim play in Orange County. Exactly. So, it's like a whole different state over but there. But people, pe- people have a problem with that. Sure. But the, the point is, 
It's fall camp, no matter when it is. <laughs> it's fall camp, and it's taking place now over on Howard Jones Field. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday night to get to you guys over on Friday, which means that we're just going to pretend uh, that uh, it started w- with the bang in, in a good way, with, uh, I would assume, Clay Helton coming out uh, in his pre-camp. The way they're doing media this year, it's the, the media uh, availability is before practice, so I, I would assume right that he would, and ca- early. He would he would come out and have some cliches, just like any coach would, but how they're ready to, to get after it and then start the campaign. So the press conference is going to happen on Friday morning, which, by the way, this is training camp for the players and also for the media. We are, we're getting ready for that 9 a.m. kickoff as well with these 8 a.m. Uh, Zoom calls. But the the basically, if you guys are wondering what this will entail, think of everything you've ever heard from USC's coaches at Pac-12 Media Day. The, that That's what I guarantee you will have taken place if you're listening to this after 8 o'clock or before 8 o'clock. It will be taking place. Unfortunately, we're not going to get to watch practice. We're going to have to take Clay Hilton and, and company at their word for what's going on, and uh, and we'll, we'll sort of go from there. But the important thing here is that USC has been cleared to practice by the local officials and that USC is going to actually be out there practicing. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To play football in 2020, which we're all excited about. Oh, and uh, we're we, gonna get. We're, they're gonna give us pictures and photos, yep. which means that we will be able to report the most important thing that everyone wants to know from practice all the time is: Are they wearing pads? The answer on Friday, I guarantee you, will be no. Well, we already know that. Yeah. And, and <laughs> rules prevent yeah. them from from going all out in, in on day one. But the the other thing is, it's exciting stuff. We're gonna see who has changed. Uh, their helmets. Who's gone from Riddell to to shut? The important things. The yes. important things for sure. Uh, those those are always things to look out for in fall camp. As is our ten part series looking into every single position group over on Patreon. We're talking about 20, 30 minutes going into the cornerbacks, the receivers, the offensive line, the defensive line, every single position group. A 10-part series, just as we do, going into every camp. You can get all of those episodes over on Patreon throughout the month, patreon.com slash Troy. It's only $5.55 to get all those bonus episodes. For $10, you get to join our Slack channel as well. You also get ad-free main episodes, which is also a plus. Yeah, and you're going to want to check those out just to get acquainted with this team again. Uh, It's been a long time since we've had to talk about this roster, since we've had to talk about this lineup, and a lot has changed. And uh, there are new players, there are players who may be in different positions, and there are players who we have a little bit more clarity about now that uh, we actually have a media guide and, and all of those things. So it's definitely a good way to get sort of study up on the team ahead of the new season so that uh, when when November 7th comes around, you're not, you know, looking down at your phone and trying to figure out who the heck is number, I don't know, 77. Chris Brown. Chris Brown's not on the team anymore, Michael. Well, that's why you need to listen. <laughs> I believe it's Jason Rodriguez. It is Jason and, Rodriguez, yeah. and one of the freshmen picked it up as well. Um, and that will be a secret that we'll keep for the unit preview. <laughs> There you go. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy is where you can get all of those bonus episodes. Uh, but at least we got a bunch of news. Let's get to it, shall we? Alright, Alicia, let's get right into this and talk about projections from the Pac-12 Media, the Pac-12 Media Poll. Preseason media poll is out. In the north, the Oregon Ducks are picked to finish first. 35 votes. Uh, Only Cal had uh, first place votes as well, uh, finishing second with three votes. Uh, Followed by the Washington Huskies, the Stanford Cardinal, the Oregon State Beavers, and rounding out the sixth and final spot in the Pac-12 North are the Washington State Cougars. In the South, it is USC. 32 first place votes in the South, followed by ASU in second place with two. The Utah Utes have four first place votes, but they're still ranked third. UCLA projected to come in fourth, Colorado fifth, and Arizona sixth. Uh, If you put it together as to who people are picking in the Pac-12 championship game, Oregon has 21 votes. 
UFC 15, ASU 1, and Utah 1, which means SC, Oregon, projected to go to the end, uh, just like we've talked about all offseason. Here it is, just as we always expected. Yeah, and I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that USC has to be the favorite in the South, considering something that we're going to talk about later, AVT. Uh, But also, I think it's just too early to jump on the ASU bandwagon. I think that um, there are some people out there who really want to ride that horse, and I am still quite skeptical. Now, I don't begrudge anyone being skeptical of USC by any, you know, by any means. I think USC has disappointed people often enough that uh, it makes sense that, that that's something to be wary of. But Can I blame Coach Helton for this. <laughs> but uh, but ASU is a a team that is coming off a decent season, but they still had their flaws. They're still losing a ton of important guys. They are still replacing all of their coordinators, and Herm Edwards has not necessarily proven that he can take that next step from being a sort of middling good team in the, in the South to a team that wins the Pac-12 South. Um, I put a lot of stock in things like S&P Plus and, and the advanced numbers, and they're not always right, but they have ASU sitting right around the sort of 40s uh, mark, which is, is not a team that, that statistically, that on paper, is going to actually pull off the the season that I think some people think that uh, ASU is going to be able to pull off. So that's why I would be very skeptical of ASU until they uh, until they have a take a step forward. And uh, USC, I think, returns enough strength. I think when you look at Graham Harrell and Keaton Slovis, there's a lot of reasons to think that USC is going to be able to win um, the 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 schedule that has played out quite fortunate for them. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I think ASU, we've talked about it before. I, th- I think that, um, and we ate crow on this before, and we will going forward, uh, they are a well-coached team in the sense that, that Herm Edwards is a good game manager, manages the, the game well. ASU is not going to beat themselves. Is he a world-beater coach in the sense that they're going to go out there and beat teams that they shouldn't? I don't necessarily think so, especially when you look at ASU's roster. They don't have Eno Benjamin. They lost guys in the offensive line. They lost Brandon Ayuk. Uh, we saw that the the year before that they've lost key players on offense as well. Um, they do have uh, Jaden Daniels back. He's only going to get better in year two. At least you would have to hope um, if you're ASU. And they're going to be a good team. I don't know that they're going to be a great team. Um, I don't know that USC is going to be a great team either. Yeah, I mean, that's we're, the big we're certainly skeptical there too. Uh, I just I think I would trust SC a little bit more given the wealth of talent that SC has at least this year. If you want to talk about 2021 and pencil in ASU uh, ahead of SC, then go ahead and do it. I have no problem with that. Yeah. But but at least for right now, while Keaton Slovis has. Tyler Vaughn's and Amon Ross St. Brown uh, at his disposal. And he has guys on defense uh, helping him out on the other side of the ball, like Talanoa Hufanga. Uh, he's going to have AVT on the offensive line. Like all these guys there, I think, give SC the undisputed, um, you know, spot as the favorite in, in, in the division for me. The other thing is that ASU has a harder schedule than USC, they get the Cal crossover game where USC gets the Washington State crossover game. And if you look at the Pac-12 North standings, that speaks for itself. Cal is getting first place votes. A lot of people think that Cal will be quite good. I personally think that Cal will be quite good. I don't think they'll be good enough to unseat Oregon, but I have been beating the drum that Oregon might experience a huge drop-off because we're not talking about them losing Justin Herbert, who it turns out is actually kind of a decent pro quarterback. Who would have thought? I certainly didn't, but he's doing okay with the Chargers. Their entire offensive line... They're pretty much their entire secondary is gone after after opting out. So Oregon is vulnerable there at the top. But until until someone like USC proves like if USC were more of a sure thing, I think it would make more sense for for USC to be the the favorite in the Pac-12 overall. But USC can't necessarily be trusted at this point. Mario Cristobal has proven the level that he has his team at. And so I think giving Oregon the the nod there. Uh, is perfectly reasonable, but there is so much that's up in the air here in in both sides of these uh, of this conference that 
it's going to be fascinating to see it all play out. But uh, especially for now, in, in the COVID season, right? Like, yeah. But as much as we can guess here, this right. all makes sense to me. It's just you know, who wants to actually make sense of of the COVID season? Yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon State made a run for it up there. Honestly, uh, I think Oregon State is underrated. I th- I think Oregon State. I don't know. I wouldn't put Stanford over Oregon State. I, I I'm I, I'm agreement. I I I wouldn't go as far to say that Oregon State will finish ahead of Washington, but I do think that Stanford has some huge problems that they got to work out, and Oregon State is on the upswing, and people may be wanting to start giving Oregon State the same kind of respect that they're giving ASU this offseason just based on what uh, Jonathan Smith has been able to do with the Beavers. Yes, indeed. And they get Jamar Jefferson back and ready to go there in Corvallis. Let's talk about the opt-outs because USC has had a big opt-in. Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, USC starting lineman from last year, left left guard. He's going to move to left tackle, and that is a big, big, big deal for USC because he was SC's best lineman last year. Uh, if you wanted to, you could possibly make the the argument that he at times like SC's best lineman the year before that, even uh, not as an outright starter. He is someone that is going to be huge and paramount for USC on the offensive line because we know what happened to Keaton Slovis last year. He got knocked out of five different games with injuries at different times. Uh, came back not in all of them uh, certainly, and that's a problem. You got to be able to keep your your star quarterback in the game. You got to be able to protect, especially in uh, an air raid offense that is, you know, about getting the ball out quickly, but still getting the ball out at some point. Uh, and SC is going to need to find a way to do that. AVT uh, g- making do on an opportunity, and he said it in in his statement coming back that. This is too much of an opportunity to pass up when you look at where USC is, the team that's around them, the schedule, uh, all of that, and the opportunity that he has. Because we've talked about it before that he had a huge opportunity in 2020 moving to tackle. What was that going to do for his NFL draft stock? Just like J. Tufele, both those guys projected by some to be in the first or the second round, but they can completely solidify themselves as maybe top half of the first round guys if they had a very good 2020. J2 Valley is going to take his chances and stay opted out, but Elijah Vera Tucker is coming back uh, and it's probably more important for him given the position change uh, of him sliding from left guard to left tackle. Yeah, and uh, and J2 Valley also has some family stuff going on. His sister is still battling uh, COVID-19, and so he's cited that as part of the reason why he's staying out. But you're right that uh, AVT has a lot more to gain by playing this season. And frankly, USC has so much to gain from him coming back. Between the two, if you had given me a choice of who to bring back, AVT would have been the very easy choice. He is critical to, to USC's offense, chugging along the way that they need to. Uh, the, the defense is going to have some growing pains here. We're going to see what they can do with Todd Orlando. But that offense, based on what it was last year, can be something special and the the missing piece to all of that was who's going to protect Keaton Slovis's blindside well now we know who that is and ABT if he can be even even just a part of of the tackle that he's been at, at guard then I think USC will be in perfectly fine hands on that offensive line I did a, a snap take after ABT opted back in and I looked through the the way a single piece coming back improves USC's depth across that offensive line too. AVT is is huge and we'll talk about that more on the on the unit previews as well, but his return transforms what USC's offensive line is and can be, which uh, you just can't overstate how important that'll be for USC wow. going in. Yes, exactly. Yes, indeed. Uh SC gets him back. Uh the Oregon Ducks do get back the Amador Lenore. Uh, Cal gets back Cam Bynum, but you look at the list of guys who are out, and it's still super, super, super long. Paulson Adebo out at Stanford. We we know that he's one of the best defensive backs in the entire country. Walker Little, one of the best offensive linemen in the entire, entire country. He's not going to be playing for Stanford. Oregon has Brady Breeze, Thomas Graham, Javon Holland, Penny Sewell. All those guys, as as it stands now, not going to play this fall. 
Uh, Washington, a couple of guys, including Joe Tryon, their star linebacker. Washington State has missing Tay Martin and Cassidy Woods transfer. I see you skipped over Washington's Levi on Wuzuruki because you didn't want to pronounce that. And you I don't have to tell the people. You don't uh, have to break the fourth wall. I'm breaking the fourth wall just because he's one of the best defensive linemen in the conference and he won't be playing for Washington uh, this year. So that Washington defense is going to have to have a gap to fill and I don't want to let that uh, let that slide just because we can't pronounce his name. <laughs> let me jump in and say that Arizona's missing Colin Schooler and Brendan Schooler to transfer and uh, Colin Wilborn to transfer as well. Bruins across the town missing Jake Burton to transfer as well. Yes, so a lot of teams out there have had a lot of attrition and all things considered, USC's made it out of this pretty darn good. They have avoided the transfer bug that uh, a lot of players were jumping on. And they, while they lose J. Tufele, and that's a big loss, they get AVT back. They're certainly in a better position in terms of the returning players than Oregon or Washington or Stanford. And it, it, I think the the opt-outs ultimately will impact the race in the North more than they will in the South. But you still have to consider if USC can do what we think they should do and get through the South, then they're going to be facing one of those teams that is not as strong as they could have been yeah. uh, going for the Pac-12 title if that's if that's what ultimately comes to be. I got to say, I think the, the race in the North is going to be so freaking fun. Oregon, Cal, so Washington, I think any of them could win the in win the division when you factor in all that Oregon has lost. If Oregon had all those guys, I don't know that I would be saying that. Yeah. Um, but you factor in all the attrition, all the guys that they lost from last year's team, like Herbert. And, all and the, the four offensive linemen besides Penny Sewell. <laughs> yeah, and then Penny Sewell, Brady Breeze, Thomas Graham, Javon Holland, all those guys not coming back for this season by opting out. It completely opens the door for Cal and and UW and what Oregon State can do up there, too. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, Whereas, and maybe this is just our perspective of being a USC podcast, but I feel like the South could be fascinating, but so much of it comes down to what happens in week one with SC and ASU. And then if SC just takes care of business, the South could just go pretty chalk. Um but is that going to be an SC team that's able to take care of their own business? Because this is a team that we know has not always done that. Mind you, they've they've typically take care take taken care of business in the South, um, and and beaten the teams that they need to in the division, um, for the most part outside of road trips to Rice Eccles. But lo and behold, they have a road trip to Rice Eccles this year. So I don't know. It, it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting. Uh, interesting time in the Pac-12, no matter what. Uh, either way, the Trojans are opening practice today, the 9th, October 9th. We got a tweet from Shannon S. who says, will you be attending practice? Curious to know what they will be doing in terms of full tackle drills this year based on some things Coach Orlando has said. It seems like they might. Yeah, we, we won't be able to attend practice as of now. Uh, USC has indicated that they are going to try to accommodate the media at some point, but the whole campus is closed. So that's like, even if if the coaches wanted us there, we couldn't be there. Yeah, and and that's the thing is, I'm certainly not holding this against USC. It's there are bigger things than just allowing the media on campus. Like you said, the campus being closed is is not helpful to them trying to accommodate us. So uh, it, it just is what it is. I think everybody understands for 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 what the the measures that they've taken, having Zoom conference calls for players and coaches for having giving us video and photos they're they're doing what they can but maybe down the line that'll involve letting us come in to campus but right. for now that's a that's a no and and something will have to change i think in order for that to become a yes yeah and so we're just gonna have to bank on whatever is said about practice you know what i, I the one in terms of, of tackling and whatnot the one thing that i would say if i were going to put out a kernel of hope out there that uh, that the media will be able to report from practice at some point is if there is a scrimmage or something at the Coliseum, then if I were USC, I would use that as a dry run to see how they're going to set up their thing. So set up the, the media availability and, and everything that's going to happen once the season starts. So I wouldn't 
I, I would say that that might be a possibility, but I don't yeah. think that they're going to let. I think the c- campus being closed pretty much closes that door, but off campus practices, it, that's maybe my hope. Yeah, Coliseum is not campus for yeah. sure. Uh, the, the interesting thing, I, I, the, I know this is super inside baseball, but the thing that cracks me up, I guess, is so SC's giving us all in the media access to, to photos because we're not going to be able to take photos ourselves at practice, obviously. So it's going to be interesting to see every site using the same kind of photos. Yeah. Like, like we all, you know, all of us do this weird thing where we, we stand in different spots to get pl- pictures of players as they come out of the tunnel, right? Like, like you'll go to where you stand and the guys over at USDfootball.com stand in a similar but different but like, place. Like and next then, to me, but not actually. Yeah, and yeah. then every other site stands a little little di- bit different, right? And now you're going to get uh, a, a thing where everyone's going to be using the same photo of Keaton Slovis. Um, it's on, I mean, literally. On the plus side, USC's photography team, which is very good. John McGillan's uh, great. He's wonderful, uh, very talented, and they have gotten better access than us anyways, so it'll probably be better photos that everyone is using because we are usually shooting from, you know, 75 yards away, and that doesn't really work that well. But, uh, but you know, that's we'll, we'll make do with what we have. Speaking of uh, better quality... How about USC's hype video that they put out uh, this week with the tagline of "Tough, disciplined, and united"? I actually didn't see it. You you, you watched it. What, I watched what, it. What do you think? Very snazzy, very well put together. Willie McGinnis did the narration. Uh, they sort of talked about the difficulty with uh, with COVID and how they all had to stay t- together and how they're all focused on blah blah blah. You know, the normal kind of hype video kind of stuff. But as far as hype videos go, it was hype. So. Kudos to USC's video team who are uh, doing their job well. It it certainly looked really nice. Yeah, they're going to have to make videos with no crowd and somehow make them uh, energetic and infectious. Hey, we we know that all you need to do is put some dramatic music behind, (laughs) do some slow-mo, and and then speed up and, you know, you can make everything look pretty hype. This is true. Uh, Slack message we got from... Uh, Samuel says, does the video USC put out really mean anything? We've seen the, the team hyped up before, only to fall flat by not executing well. Will this be the same as before? This is where I have to say, and I I have to say this every year because I know that, you know, people get super hyped up for the videos. The video team that, that is making the, the hype videos are not the coaches. It's PR. It's needing to look good, needing to look crisp. Getting fans excited and pumped up and all that stuff. And hype videos are great for what they are. Bringing hype to the team, right? Like, that's what it's for. Um, I don't think it's necessarily something that says uh, any inherent message that you can or cannot judge the team about. You know, if Matt Barkley's getting up there and saying that he has unfinished business, and the video is all about unfinished business, that's a different story. Uh, otherwise, it's just a video. Well, that I mean, that's what sort of stands out to me about the video is that tagline, Tough Discipline United, just because if you did a poll of sort of, or I guess if, if you did like a Twitter analysis of the things that people accuse this being of, of this team of not being, then tough and disciplined would be absolutely up at the top of the list. So like, it feels like whoever is putting this out is almost like lampshading the the idea that USC hasn't been tough and hasn't been disciplined. Well, we know they haven't been disciplined because penalties and all sorts of other problems. Um, so if nothing else, USC is highlighting the areas that everyone knows they need to get better at. And I agree with you that it doesn't it doesn't mean anything except that you can't put out a video that says tough, disciplined, united, and then go out and be soft and undisciplined in game one. Like, then you you get to be rightly roasted for that very thing. So USC is setting themselves up to be either roasted or to follow through on this, and that's going to be something that they are ultimately in control of. Sure. I'm just saying hype videos are hype videos. Well, they're hype, though. Don't don't overthink it. Just get hype. It's not that hard. Uh, Recruiting news. Uh, Cornerback Philip Riley decommitted from Notre Dame and committed to USC. Alicia, how do you feel about that as a Notre Dame grad? Uh, Philip Riley chose to not go to 
South Bend, Indiana, and I think he is going to be better off for it to not have to put up with the weather in South Bend, Indiana during the winter. Um, so good on Philip Riley. Um, he's another addition to USC. He's a four-star corner. And that, I mean, USC's DB class at this point is just is just outrageous. We don't cover recruiting all that deeply, but if you haven't sort of tuned in to what USC's recruiting class currently looks like, then I think we just need to stress the degree to which USC has recruited the defensive backfield at this point. They've got Prophet Brown, who's uh, number 154 nationally as a corner. They've got Kalen Bullock, who's 186 as an athlete. Anthony Beavers, who's 214 as an athlete. Uh, Philip Riley is 287 ranked in the class as a corner. They've got the Zamarian Gordon, who's 302 as a safety. Jalen Smith out of Alamany, 305 as an athlete. Uh, that recruiting class for safety and cornerback is absolutely outrageously good. And uh, and credit to, to Dante Williams for <laughs> continuing to flip these dudes because it's, it's impressive. Wait, so SC's allowed to recruit someone that's in the top 247 this year? Literally, yes, and they're oh, all okay. DBs. <laughs> all right, uh, that, that's that's good news for SC. Uh, along with the other commitment they got recently, offensive tackle Ty Buchanan. Yeah, Ty Buchanan is, uh, <laughs> uh, on the flip side of things, Ty Buchanan is another one of those three-star offensive linemen that USC is hoping to develop into something. So uh, he is ranked number 746th in the class for from 24-7 sports. And he sort of falls in line with uh, uh, Saie Mapakaitolo, whose name I will learn to say properly eventually. Uh, Maximus Gibbs, those guys are all the sort of three-star linemen that USC is just they're betting on them, basically. And f- for what it's worth, Ty Buchanan is a guy who had a lot of offers from the Ivy League, who is a very smart kid. He's uh, got a, a frame that really can be built upon. He's 280 right now, 6'5", 280, but he was a tight end up a couple, uh, up until a couple of years ago. So he's only on the, the physical development side of things early on in his uh, in his time as an offensive lineman. And he, his coach raves about his mean streak, his mean mentality, which is always something you like to hear about offensive linemen uh, as, as recruits. So I think he's another intriguing prospect. Would I prefer if USC were out there getting the top linemen uh, available in, in the class? Absolutely. But they are banking on these, on these sort of diamond in the rough kind of prospects. And we won't know how this is all going to turn out until we see how they ultimately develop. So that's on Tim Drevno. And uh, it's it's they're taking a pretty big risk here, but some of these guys may pay off. Yeah, and speaking of guys who may pay off for USC, the Trojans are trending in the right direction for tight end Michael Trigg and cornerback Sierra Wright. They also picked up a crystal ball for Josh Moore, a DB committed to the Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, so Michael Trigg is a two-sport athlete. Kind of reminds me of Drake London, except he's more tight end than wide receiver, but he's a, a basketball prospect as well who's being recruited by Andy Enfield. So he's a guy... I, I would co-sign on that. You'd, you'd co-sign on, on Michael Trigg? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not to go on a tangent. Not to go on a tangent, no. Um, so he is a, a really intriguing prospect. Basically a, a tight end who is a receiver just that has a big body, so would fit right in with the air raid. Uh, Sarah Wright is out of Loyola, so another local corner that USC can target just to beef up this uh, DB class even more. And then the interesting thing about Josh Moore, the Stanford commit, is that when he got his offer from USC back in early September, he tagged Graham Harrell and uh, Kerry Colbert as the in his like I'm honored to receive the offer from USC blah 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 and so Gerard Martinez of uscfootball.com wrote an article saying basically that USC may be targeting him as a wide receiver uh, because USC has missed on a couple of the wide receivers that they've been looking for in this class so they're looking at him not to add to this monstrous DB class but to come in and be a wide out for USC which he's graded as a DB um, but he does have he he has played wide receiver in high school. He does have really strong uh, wide receiver skills. It's just that he seems to um, 
be a little bit lacking on the the like sp- he's lacking in speed a little bit and i think that's why he's been sort of pushed into this this uh db category where he has the ball skills and the the uh the, the mentality to play wide receiver so again another one that usc is trying to just get creative here and and see what they can do they need the bodies at wide receiver for what it's worth so might as well take a chance if you can flip him from stanford yeah we'll be looking for more on more uh, coming up later in the recruiting cycle. But uh, that's going to lead us to the mailbag. we got a bunch of questions from you guys over on Slack, our email, Twitter, and so much more. So we'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's start with a Slack message we got from Sean in Mid-City-ish. Not saying it's going to happen, but what would your feelings on winning a national championship be this year? Would it feel like a massive asterisk? Uh, okay. Thank you for the question, Sean. I think it would. And I say this, uh, like, as an asterisk in that it, it it would be a credit to USC. I think you, you would be able to give a lot of credit to the players and to you'd have to hand it to Clay Hilton because you'll have to beat a couple good teams to get there. Uh, but it wouldn't be the same kind of national championship as a normal year because you will have, you've, will have only had to win, you know, eight games. Um, it, it, everyone is that little bit weaker because everyone has had people opt out. Uh, so much of this season isn't necessarily about your normal level of preparation. It's how well you prepared given the circumstances. Um so I think you could absolutely count it as a national championship, but I wouldn't give it the strength that a, for lack of a better term, real national championship would be graded on. Is that is that fair? Uh, um, hmm, hmm. Let me put this. Uh, I look at it two ways. Would there be an asterisk? Yes. I think anyone winning the national championship this season, there is a, an asterisk, just like... We put an asterisk on 2007. Uh, that was the LSU team that had two losses, right? Yeah. And, and 2007 was the wild, chaotic year in which anyone could have won. Uh, SC surely would have won if they would have beaten Stanford. Well, but, that's the right? thing. But, there are a lot of asterisks on a lot of national championships yeah, like, out there. Like, this is college football. There's a million asterisks everywhere. Um, so these things already exist. We've seen shared national championships, obviously. There's all these things. So is there an asterisk? Yes. Does it matter? No. Uh, if you're a USC fan and SC wins, why the hell would you care? It's a national title. Celebrate the dang thing. Yeah. Uh, that that said, I, I think that just because there's an asterisk doesn't mean that it's lesser. I think it means it's a different um, it's a different thing in terms of it's noteworthy for some reason. This year's championship, um, no matter who wins it, uh, I don't think that they will be lesser than a team from last year or or next year or whatever. Um, certainly they will have won fewer games and had a, a different route. But there's different types of hurdles outside of football this year uh, that are going to level the playing field in a lot of different ways. Like, like we've said before, there's two ways to look at USC's schedule right now. On one hand, there is no excuse for SC to, you know drop a game in the first six games. They're going to be favored in all six, uh, potentially in all seven, right? Um, This is a dream schedule for SC because it doesn't have the four scariest opponents they were going to have on it. So it's a, they don't have to play Oregon. They don't have to play Cal. They don't have to play Alabama. They don't have to play Notre Dame. But theoretically, if they were to win a national championship, they will have had to play someone from the North. Yeah, they will and have to play Oregon. Had to play. They will have to have won- someone like someone of the caliber of Clemson or Alabama, or and, and get two wins there. Yeah, right. Which means that, which is why I think it's validated. That's that's why it'd be valid. The playoff yes. validates it. Yes, the playoff validates it one hundred percent. Because it's not like you're just winning the Pac-12 and then people are saying, "Well, you would have beat somebody if you had right. played them, but you didn't actually play them." Yes, which is what happened way back when. Yeah, and so I, I think that the playoff absolutely would validate it in that sense. And that goes for anybody in, in in this circumstance. But but the way I'm looking at it, you you look at USC schedule and you say that on the on the one hand they should waltz the way all the way through it because they're on paper the better team. 
But secondly, this is the year of COVID in which anything could happen. Uh, look, look at Oklahoma the last two weeks, losing two games. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any egg on your face of losing to a Matt Campbell team in Ames. Um, but when you do it the week after you lose to K-State with with the Red River rivalry coming, Red River shootout. What the hell's wrong with me? What I is never, wrong with you? I never call it the I'm Red, the one who does the Red yeah, River rivalry. Yeah, the Red rivalry. River shootout coming up this week. Like, that's a disaster for, for Oklahoma, right? But this is what we see in 2020 because anything can happen. Uh, I, I'd include missing, uh, sorry, Mississippi State beating LSU, then losing to Arkansas, but that's very much a Mike Leach special as it is. So I, I don't know if that counts, but lots of things are, are in here, right? There's no real infallible team, maybe outside of Alabama and Clemson, until they prove that they're not. So it's going to be a wild year, and I think that all of that creates a different, unique challenge. And once you get through the playoff, it validates it. It'll still have an asterisk for being different, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's less than. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing to take away. An asterisk, just, you know, in the literal sense, right? If you put an asterisk at the end of a statement, all you're doing is adding context to that statement. So, yeah, right. it will be a national championship with where you would have to state the context of this strange season. Yeah, and, and if you want to say that Clay Helton lucked his way to a Pac-12 championship, Maybe you can say that at the end of the year, mm-hmm. but you won't be able to say that about a national championship no. because it's still going to involve wins over teams like Alabama and Clemson at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's the big thing is I think a lot of it would be... Ha- and again, I not saying look- that this is going to happen. I w- no, no, no. But let's, this, it's, 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 November, it's October 8th and USC doesn't play until November 7th, so we're going to have these conversations. That's fine. But I, I feel like if we're talking about how would it change the perception of Clay Helton... I think that, which is really what the biggest issue here is, I think that a lot of people will use the asterisk to act as though Clay Helton didn't win a national title when, in fact, if Clay Helton were to pull this off, again, he will have had to have beaten at least two legitimate teams on a national stage. And I think that should should give Clay Helton, um, you know, he should be thrown some credit. Does that mean that he's still USC's best long-term option? Doesn't necessarily change that. But I think that uh, I would be prepared for people to use the asterisk to discount it, but it shouldn't be a discounting factor. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Let's go to an email we got from Scott in Memphis. Hope everyone is healthy and happy. Can't wait for USC to start in November, mainly because what I'm seeing and hearing from you and other media reports about our recruiting for 2021, and that is looking up. The good news also is that it's early and more good recruits will come later, especially if the 2020 season is a success. What are your thoughts about this developing story? Is this just a case of optimistic, Scotty? Or are things truly making a positive turn in Trojan Nation? Fight on, Scott in Memphis. Thanks for the email, Scott. Uh, (laughs) Here's the thing. I think you are perfectly reasonable to look at USC's current recruiting class and see a, a distinct improvement. I think it is perfectly justified to look at the efforts of USC's new coaching staff in terms of the the defensive coaches the coaches and the work that they have done and feel optimism um i agree that this situation is going to come down to the 2020 season being a success and i think that's where it gets a little bit more shaky because this is i'm going to put the the this, this statement out there this is probably the most important season from a recruiting perspective that USC has ever had, at least in the recruiting era. Michael and I are always saying that recruits don't necessarily pay attention to wins and losses. That's not the end all and be all that they're paying attention to. But I guarantee you guys like Corey Foreman are watching the wins and losses and looking for something that that can show them that USC is on the right path that they are trending in the right direction and if usc slips up in 2020 they will be incapable i think of landing the big recruits that they really need to be recruiting on top of this really solid uh you know top 10 recruiting class that they already have built 
Well, we saw a four class in 2020. We saw a class in 2019 that we didn't think was strong, and then it ultimately had Keaton well, Slovis and, and Drake London and Drake Jackson and, and those Keaton Kristen, and, and it's looking better than it than it was initially, right? But two recruiting classes in a row that haven't been those standard top five, top ten classes that USC fans are, are used to, and you need to kind of turn the corner because you're losing so much on defense after this year with Talano Hufanga going to be draft eligible. Uh, JJ Felly's already gone. Brandon Peely is a senior. Uh, Marlon Tuipolotu is a senior. Uh, uh, Naoteote is draft eligible. All these, so many of the, the DBs are going to be draft eligible too. Mm-hmm. There could be a mass exodus on this team, especially on defense. Uh, on offense, you're, probably going to lose Amon Ross St. Brown. You know you're losing Tyler Vons. You know you're you're losing some of those running backs. So this is a situation where the the team in 2020 is going to be way better on paper than 2021 just because of the exodus that is bound uh, to happen. Un- unless the extension of eligibility sure. takes the scholarship, the, the roster situation, and totally we cannot even predict what that will sure, look like. Sure. So, uh, But yes, I think I think you're right, as USC is... is does have to which means the, yeah. the heightened importance of winning now because you yes. have to win now to provide stability and it's less about the wins and the losses it's more about proving that clay helton is the man for the future and i know that you know the fans are, are not on board with that idea but if you're wanting the big recruits you kind of have to have that end up being the case mm-hmm. right so you need sc to put together a strong season in which it, it shows that Clay Helton is going to be here for a while. You need to have a situation where the, the team is strong in this season uh, if you want to get Corey Foreman. That's just how it is. That, that's the, that's the, the, the pill you have to, to swallow uh, if you want those big, big guys, right? And if you do that, you can save a lot on that regression of talent uh, going into next year, which is you know coupled with the two recruiting classes that weren't up to par. But if you don't do that, if you fall back this year, if you stumble on your face this year, it can just gets tagged on to how bad the 2020 class was. And then the 2019 class doesn't look nearly as good as it did maybe 12 months from tw- well, months ago and all that kind of stuff. That's the thing is, if you slide with this class, if you don't get those elite recruits, now all of your hopes are put on the development side because we talked about that 2019 class. USC's three stars in that class have, several of them have already panned out rather well. But now you're talking about, okay, there is no wiggle room. You need some three stars to to turn into really good offensive linemen. You need some three stars to turn into really good uh, linebackers and and defensive linemen and, and all of that. So you're playing with some fire if you don't get back to the recruiting level that you need to be at. It could go a lot of different ways, but this is a, a an absolutely critical season just from the perspective of you need to validate Clay Hilton because if 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 you don't, you're basically looking at a a a um a lame duck year where USC won't be able to recruit that much anyways because everyone knows that Hilton's getting fired. Yeah, it's such a weird dichotomy, I I think for for USC fans right now, where you look at this and you're like, success means uh means buying into Helton long-term, more more than likely, right? Um, and yet, on the, on the flip side of that, crashing and burning means change is going to come sooner, but crashing and burning probably means that it's going to be a stronger crash and burn than you would have expected, Well, at, at, at least now, which puts even more height on who that replacement would be long-term the, the <laughs> more, more all, the, all these conversations we've had the fact of the matter is usc needs a, the extremes they need helton to do really really well and validate everything or they need him to utterly and completely fail so that it's a crash and burn that is makes it very easy to just cut bait and move on the worst thing for USC would be to be medium again. For that sure, would be yeah. the absolute worst thing. Because in theory, let, let's just say SC is very bad this year. They completely fall on their face. They go two and five. It's easy to, to fire Clay Helton at that point. Yeah. Super easy to just fire everybody. You you completely change everything. Then you can go out and get a, a, a splash higher and, and hope 
that recruits can can relook at the situation. I'm going to caution people about rooting too hard for that, though, because the reason USC doesn't want to make the decision to fire Helton this year is because of the financial situation, the COVID-19. Sure. The athletic department was already in a, in a in a hole, all of that kind of stuff. So if you root too hard for that possibility, just understand that there is a very good chance that the firing of Clay Helton coincides with the hiring of a stopgap coach, which could be something that sets USC back even more years. But but so, I, I will say that I think that you look at what what SC has done with, with Mike Bone, and he's been able to put together things that help the, the football program regardless of who the coach is. Yeah. Uh, the increase in support staff, uh, the increase in marketing and recruiting and all this kind of stuff – that's going to help whether it's Clay Helton or whether it's Urban Meyer or whether it's inserts up and coming coach here, like whoever it is. Well, right? I mean, let's just let's let's be honest here. Mike Bone is absolutely aware of what Luke Fickle is doing with Cincinnati right now, and Mike Bone will certainly be aware of what uh, what uh, what Dave Aranda is doing at Baylor. The question is really just whether or not the price tag for that kind of coach becomes too high. Yeah. Uh, speaking of a price tag, SC paid a big price tag for Todd Orlando, which leads us into a Slack message we got from Samuel. It's been a while. So what does Todd Orlando and the rest of the defensive staff bring to the table for our defense? Alicia, let's rapid fire this one. Uh, I'll, I'll name a coach. You in... Two sentences. Rehash the argument to hire them and what they bring. Does that make okay. sense? Yes. Okay. Uh, Todd Orlando. Uh, had a really strong season in 2017 with Texas. And based on what Texas's defense is doing this year, I don't think Orlando was the problem in Texas. All right. Sean Snyder. Uh, was excellent as a special teams guy in Kansas State, and it can't get worse than John Baxter. Craig Niver. Uh, developed safeties rather well at Texas, has a good reputation as a recruiter, and it's showing on the recruiting trail. Dante Williams. Uh, excellent recruiter. It is showing on the recruiting trail, and also did a pretty good job of developing corners at, uh, at Oregon as well. Vic Soto. Soto uh, was extremely well respected at Virginia. They absolutely love him and were extremely happy with the work that he did with the defensive linemen. So he's not as heavy. He's not as much of a heavy hitter on the defensive line recruiting, but on the development side, you should expect to see USC get some more out of the current defensive linemen that they have. John David Baker. John David Baker is a is a buddy of Graham Harrell, <laughs> and uh, whatever keeps Graham Harrell happy is good. It's possible that his uh, connection to Harrell, his involvement in the scheme and the passing offense, and him taking over tight ends will force USC to pay more attention to tight ends because he will have an investment in that happening. All right, how about this one, Chris Claiborne? Uh, a, a legacy guy that uh, that was doing well. At, uh, he was at Calabasas, and I think that's a, a good thing to give him a, a head start on his on the next stage of his career, and I hope that he is able to, to help USC in the, in the background. He certainly has the right mentality. All right. Uh, sounds good. More rapid-fire questions coming up after this. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, Samuel also says, who will run the ball more this season, Carr or Step? Uh, I think it'll be Carr until he gets injured, but for now, we'll go with Carr. Uh, let's go to the next one. Over seven games, assuming they're all played, who gets more receiving targets and who gets more receiving yards? I feel like I said this last year, but give me Vaughns for yards, Amon Ross St. Brown for targets. I don't think you're wrong. All right, uh, next one from Samuel. What would be the best Pac-12 versus Group of Five Bowl game. Select the two teams. Uh, let's go with uh, Cincinnati and Oregon. Cincinnati and Oregon. You wouldn't. I, no, I, I'm going to say BYU and Utah. 
In a bowl? Okay, yes. In a bowl Especially game, that would be fun. Especially in a season like this, because I think it, BYU would, would go into that bowl game super smug, thinking that they had like this undefeated record that probably means nothing, and then Utah still beat them. Uh, uh, LA, like Fred, LA Fred says, biggest surprise of the Pac-12 schedule for you? Um, That they protected Oregon and USC. I think for me, it's that it doesn't start on Friday night. I, I get the, yeah, that's a good the, point. The, the big noon kickoff, but I would have still thought there would have been a Friday night game. Uh, there as well. Yeah, so uh, Fred also asked, seeing as how they kind of took care of the favorites by not having the big boys play each other in the crossover games, why did they have Cal play ASU? Shouldn't the matchup have been ASU versus Stanford? I, I think this was a situation of teams could only play who they were supposed to play in the home road split. Uh, that was a big factor. Uh, you saw that SC got added to the, the team that got added was Wazoo, which was the team that got added to their schedule back in August. So it ended up just being easier to do that. And the way future schedules would go wouldn't necessarily impact home road splits or anything like that. The, the shorter answer is scheduling is not as simple as doing what you want. Ideally, somebody's always going to yeah. get the short end of the straw. Right. And uh, LA Fred also says, do you think Pac-12 games get canceled or postponed due to COVID? Uh, and doesn't the law of averages tell us that that will happen with zero bi-week flexibility? What happens if yes? Well, this is tough. So the Pac-12 is very confident in their testing. And so it needs to go rather smoothly for them on the testing front in order for games to not be canceled or postponed. And if they do get canceled then they, I think that's just it. They're canceled. Yeah. And that's I, the, I don't think there's no gonna, making those up. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely no making those up. So it's, it's honestly, it's the responsibility of each individual team to make sure that they don't have a game canceled. Yeah. And the the good thing from the back 12s perspective here is that this is the, the type of testing that should eliminate contact tracing. Yeah. Which is what you, why you're seeing all these, these games get canceled. Uh, in other leagues because maybe they have lesser testing. That means that if one person gets, you know, COVID, you got to see who they you, came in contact for, with for, for the every, last X amount of days. Yeah. For every person who gets COVID, there are 12 or so that are that are contact traced where with the testing that the Pac-12 is supposed, is supposed to be relying on, I mean, like the contact tracing might be down to just two or three. So you won't have to cancel games if there's just a couple guys out. Yep. Uh, David Orange County says, with the lack of fans being present at games, which school does that affect the most? Utah. I think so. Probably right. It could be Oregon, but it's to me, it's Utah. Yeah. One or the other. I, I, I Or Utah, Utah has been more does have reliant. the altitude, though. The altitude would help them. That's true. Maybe that is the thing that maybe we're going to find out if Utah's fans or the sure. altitude play a bigger role in that. Yeah. Uh, Dave also says, do you see the lack of fans helping USC's offense out because the noise will be less and our O-line can be on the same page with snap counts and hear audibles? I guess, maybe. Yeah, I, th- Here's I think the, thing. the offense is going to end up playing like um, like seven-on-seven seven tournaments because, you know, there's seven-on-seven seven high school tournaments that are played in the spring slash summer. Yeah. They're always played in college stadiums, like the like yeah. the finals are, right? Like it, it's usually like in Dallas at like SMU Stadium at Gerald Ford Field or whatever, right? And so you get this weird thing where they're just playing in a big empty stadium and everyone can hear each other. That's what these games are going to be but like. But here's the thing is I could swear, and I wish I had the, the numbers, but I could swear that in the first few weeks of – of uh of football coming back that false starts haven't really been reduced you know so like i think a lot of the communication problems for an offensive line maybe doesn't have so much to do with with the crowd and it's just about everybody being on the same page straight up okay so we also got a slack message from evan Will the big noon kickoff have positive effects on the recruiting trail? For instance, there's a ton of talent in Georgia and Florida, and they all will finally be awake to watch the whole game instead of the Pac-12 after dark time slots, where a lot of people don't stay up and watch on the East Coast. I don't. I don't see it. I, I don't see that being a factor. There. There's a there's a double-edged sword here, though, Evan, because this means that 
media members and coaches and, and fans and recruits will see when you're really good, but they'll also see when you're not so good. So Yeah, like we've talked about before, uh, recruits are less interested in specific wins and losses, so I don't think the specific games will necessarily matter. Uh, plus, these recruits are like 17-year-old kids. They're staying up late. They're sleeping in. Uh, I, I don't see that this is one of those situations that changes uh, players' ability to watch games, especially when I don't think the players, again, the recruits care as much on day-to-day games. I think you'd be surprised at how many recruits don't watch football. Yeah. College football, especially. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times they watch, watch NFL, but the NFL. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tweet from John Arwane. Uh, will the band be allowed in the Coliseum? Um, that's a good question. On one hand, I don't see why they would. On the other hand, I don't see why they couldn't. But I think the most logistical answer to this is how many of the band members are on campus? Yeah. The, like the, the classes are are online right now. So I can't imagine that they have a full band at their disposal. Right I mean, now. is the band even practicing at this point? Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I don't know. Maybe we should research into this more, but yeah. I, I mean, I hope, I hope the band's there. I, I think it would be great to have the band there. I'm, I'm not expecting that to be the case. Yeah. Uh, tweet from Brian Zarsky with Michael Pittman gone. Who do you think should fill in the open starting wide receiver position? Someone who was not starting last year. I think that USC will have basically Drake London fill the third receiver role, but there's a possibility that they that they throw Brew McCoy or Gary Gary Bryant Jr. or somebody like that out. At this stage, I just I don't know because I don't know if USC is going to go out there with you know four wide receiver sets all the time, or are they going to lean more on the tight end, or are they going to lean more on running backs? It's hard to say at this point. They yeah, could do a lot of things. Last year they could lean on Drake Jackson as a pseudo tight end. Yeah, and that allowed them to go four wide a lot. But will they lean on Josh Follow this time as right. an actual tight end? Yeah, you know? or or Eric Kromenhoek, or like what will that be like? I don't know. So that's going to be an interesting question. Either way, I think there's yeah there's plenty of options. Gary Bryant Jr. and uh, Brew McCoy, probably the two most interesting ones. Uh, another guy that would be in the mix if he if he wasn't coming off of injury would be um, McLean. Yeah, well, he might be far enough out from that injury that that Munir McLean might factor in here. It's a shame that Kyle Ford probably won't be available for this season because he obviously would have been a guy that that we were looking yep. at for that as well. But you know, injuries are JJ three perhaps. Yeah. Could be. Maybe. You never know. Uh, our pal Kenneth Martin from Travel Hits Thursday says, if USC and Oregon go undefeated, except for a loss in the Pac-12 championship game, do you see both teams getting to New Year's Six games? Yeah, probably. Uh, yes. Uh, a lot of that also depends on what are the other conferences doing, and at this point it's kind of hard to say. But when you consider that Oklahoma already has two losses, that Texas already has a loss, the, and you know someone like Notre Dame is going to pick up a loss or Clemson's going to pick up a loss you know all of those things mean the the New Year's Six kind of stuff could get a little wonky here yep uh last question from Michael Mudo will USC have to face JT Daniels in a playoff game playoffs don't talk about playoffs you kidding me follow-up question would that make Clay Helton's head explode uh, well first things first JT Daniels has to win the starting job at Georgia, and it doesn't look good for him at the moment because uh, Stetson Bennett is uh, is is you know dealing over there for the for the Bulldogs. So how is Stetson Bennett not like a like a you know like a cowboy hat? It, shop? I, his name bothers me because like I feel like it's Stetson like a, and Bennett a, are both last names, but and it's it, a country music singer right like that yes. sounds like a stetson bennett or bennett stetson you know mm-hmm. it's it's like usc had that problem a couple years ago with the with the walk-on quarterbacks who had their names that were like reversed and so when you see them you know when you see holden thomas and thomas holden yeah exactly so when you see 
you know, St. Brown, comma, Amon Ra, you know that that's last name, first name. But like, if I saw Bennett, comma, Stetson, I would think Bennett Stetson instead of Stetson Bennett. It's just, it's it's a mess. Either way, JT Daniels, need, you know, if USC and Georgia face off in a playoff game, there is no guarantee that JT Daniels will be the starting quarterback. And so at that point, all Clay Helton's head would care about, I'm sure, is is Keaton Slovis his quarterback and is he a good quarterback? And I think ultimately, my opinion is that Keaton is USC's better off with Keaton than with JT. So there's that. It would be cool. It would be it, the storyline. I'm be rooting for it. It would be salacious. wonderful. Yeah. Yes, it, it would be really quite the story. So yeah, that was a fun rapid fire through all those billions of questions. Thanks for sending those in. As always, you can do that through email, randomtroyatfansire.com. Our phone number again, 213-373-1USC. Uh, and then our um, Slack channel you can find over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy, where you can join. Uh, for 10 bucks, you get to join the Slack channel in addition to all of our bonus episodes and ad-free main shows that you get through Patreon, uh, including our 10-part preview series, which you can check out over on Patreon uh, starting this weekend. So you, you gave me a, a, a look when you were doing the, the, phone, the phone number. And I was stuck here frozen in in indecision because I, I couldn't decide if you wanted me to jump in on the one USC. But I think you did. And now I need to apologize. Like, I, I, wow. I screwed up. I, I can't believe it. My bad. <sighs> yep. Wow. Uh, can I blame Alicia Deratola for this? Yeah, pretty. I mean, I'm, yeah. Dropping the ball over here. What's your final word, I guess? Final word is fail, as in, I fail. Alright, I guess we'll see you next week. See ya. This is the story of the Wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.